it, I was so confused and I was hurt and I, I just, I was mad that how could this be? How could this organization completely control our lives and how we are in the world? And now it's, it's all bullshit. And so I kind of talk about the spiral that I went down for a couple of years until I landed back on my feet. But during that time I did leave my marriage because I was like, I don't want anything to do with it. Fortunately, I didn't leave my kids, <laughs> but, you know, like I'm thankful for that because I wanted at some point, I just, I'm like, I want nothing. I want to go start new somewhere else. Like that was my mentality. And it's probably a juvenile thought process, but you kind of feel stunted in some growth in, in kind of a way. You, you had no experiences like the world has. And that probably sounds very shallow now, but it's, it's such a, you're coming out of such a mind control. Thanks for joining us for another episode of What the Faith. It's been a few weeks now and um, we're really glad to be back at it. We just moved to a new space, which we're absolutely loving. And we're really looking forward to being able to work harder on the podcast and also uh, to be putting on more live events that we've honestly loved putting on. It's been such a great way to have a bit of a bigger conversation um, and also include uh, our listeners. That way they can also write in and ask questions live while we are uh, having the conversation. Uh, But today we get to share with you a really great conversation that we had with Amy Logan. Um, I, I was really able to connect with her a lot just with, uh, her being an ex-Mormon, me being an ex-witness and that, I don't know, it's just, it's crazy how across these different faiths, when we leave it, we are able to have such similar experiences and really be able to build each other up. Uh, with Amy, she was a Mormon for 37 years and now that she's out, she actually runs her own podcast and she really works at inspiring people and bringing out so much through her podcast, her provocative questions, and her one-on-one coaching because she really wants to make this space really that uh, people are able to focus on having healing conversations. Um, And we were able to have one of those conversations with her. And so I really hope that you enjoy this episode. I know that we certainly did. Yeah, I was born and raised Mormon in Southern California. Uh, And active my whole life. I mean, did all the things, you know, Mormonism is what I refer to as like a high demand religion and where it's your life, it's your culture. It's pretty much everything that you do. And so it's so interesting growing up in Mormonism. And as I'm learning other religions, as I've, as I've, you know, left and talked to people from other faiths, it's like, it's just all consuming. And so your brain doesn't even know to think outside the box because it's just everyone you know everyone you love you know everyone's in it and i so i i I refer to kind of my life in mormonism as on the path meaning like doing all of the sequential kind of life transitioning through all the mormon expectations so it's going to all your church meetings which take a huge chunk of time during your week they keep you very busy with activities, which some of them are great fun. Like being a teenager in the eighties in Southern California was awesome. And our Mormon culture, the youth program was fun and great friends and just always youth conferences and just fun stuff. So my husband and I, we joked that the church was true in the eighties just cause that's when we had the most fun. <laughs> with it. And then I left the day after I graduated from high school, I left to go to BYU, which is the church one of the church um, colleges, universities, and packed my bags and left and pretty much stayed in Utah, that that university, BYU is in Provo, Utah, 
stayed there, met my husband, got married at 20. <laughs> like everything's just very sequential, right? I did graduate from college though, which is great. A lot, there's kind of this joke in Mormon culture that you go to BYU to get your MRS degree. If that fills you in on kind of what the expectation of a woman is, you get married and you become a mom. Um, I, did, I did finish my degree and I taught for a few years. We, we had a couple kids, two boys, which is having two kids is a small number in Mormonism. Um, but we had a problem getting pregnant. And by the time we got pregnant and I had my two boys and then have had what I call my faith crisis, um, I was, I couldn't imagine adding another kid to the mess that my brain was feeling at the time. So, um, yeah, so just kind of did all the things, got married in the Mormon temple. Um, at 20 years old, I put on the Mormon garment. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. If you heard about that, you wear an underclothing that is to symbolize your promises you've made in the temple and here to wear it all day and all night. And you can take it off for obviously showers. And uh, I think that the approved things are obviously showering, but um, physical activity. So sport, sporting events, stuff like that. Um, sex is okay too, but there are some people who take it to the extreme and don't remove it completely for those activities. But um, so I wore that Mormon, that temple garment for, until I, it was probably 2007 when I stopped wearing that completely. Um, and we can get into that too, but that, it's very, it's a big thing when you decide to remove that temple garment. It, you are taught that it's a protection for you and your body. And so it's very emotional to kind of take that off and not put it on again. Um, yeah, so I just, I did all the things until I had some kind of nagging doubts about my what I believed in, you know, as you evolve in life and you start thinking, is this true? For me, it had to do, my issues with Mormonism were polygamy. I, I didn't ever know because we're taught not to read ex, uh, anti-Mormon literature is what the church referred to it as. And so being the good Mormon girl, I just, I'm like, well, I shouldn't read anything that's not approved because that would be scary. <laughs> and so it wasn't till about 2006 after I probably had about five years of doubts, just very little, I refer to it as my shelf. Like I, issues would come up, whether it's polygamy or um, LGBTQ issues or whatever, I'd put it on my shelf in my brain and think, oh, I'll just deal with this later. But you get to the point where that shelf becomes very heavy <laughs> and overwhelming. And so I, one day, my friend who was Mormon, she called me my best friend, actually the one I'm living in Texas now, nearby. She said, Amy, you're right. All your doubts were, you're right. You have to, you have to read these books. And she started giving me books to read and websites to visit. And I was 36 at the time. And I thought, okay, I'm a grown up. <laughs> like I have children. I'm married. Like I have a career, like all of these things. If the church is true, then nothing I read can change that. And if, if it's, I didn't really entertain at that point, the thought that it might not be true for me. Um, but I thought, here's my best friend who we've been through a lot together. I'm just, I'm going to trust her. I, I trusted her years ago to tell her I was having doubts. So that was kind of what I, I kind of say that my day of permission, like I decided it was okay to start reading. And I consumed volumes of information, like all of Mormon history. And it's kind of like you read one thing, you just start going down the rabbit hole and story after story after story. And, and just realizing that what I'd been taught was not what I was reading. Like 
what I learned, and, and this was me being a seminary graduate in high school, kids, teenagers are required to go to seminary. And in Southern California, it was at 6 a.m. Monday through Friday before school and going to all my youth meetings and my, my Sunday meetings, which at that time was a three hour block of time. And, you know, as I got older and I held callings in the Mormon church, it's a, a lay ministry. So everyone is volunteer. So you as a member hold callings, which means you teach lessons, you participate, you like you, you're in charge of like either the kids or the, the youth or the um, Relief Society, which is the women's organization, lots of opportunity to serve. And, you know, I did all those things. And so when I started to give myself permission and it just, I refer to it as like the Jenga puzzle, like it just all fell down. And that's very emotional <laughs> because when you've been the person who's been on the path of doing all the Mormon things to have, you know, and I'm sure you guys relate to this, just your life is completely built on what you believe to be true. And so then I, like I said, I spent that two years just reading and researching and trying to process all that I was doing and thinking, how am I going to tell people? You know, how do I tell my husband? How do I tell my children who I've been raising since they were little on the same path that I was raised on? And, you know, what do I do? And so for a lot of, for probably at least a good year, I just, I, I felt alone and kind of in the closet, so to speak. I, I didn't know how to say, I no longer believe, you know? And so I had what I call my moment. And I can't remember if I shared this on the last time we spoke, but it was a day after I'd, I had done tons of studying and researching and every day I was just kind of reading as much as I could. And I pulled into my driveway. My kids were at school. They were in elementary school at the time. My husband's at work and I pull in, I'm in my minivan, of course. <laughs> what else are you going to drive as a Mormon mom? Pull into my garage, shut the garage behind me. And I just had that moment where it's not true. None of it's true. I've been lied to. And I just bawled. And somehow I got myself out of the car and into the front room where I just kind of collapsed on the floor and just cried like fetal position, like pain, physically in pain. My poor dog sitting there trying to comfort me and just realizing that it was all, it was all fake pretend. And I remember thinking, I wish the earth could just swallow me up because I have no idea what comes next, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. And somehow I got myself up and just kind of like wiped my face and thought, okay, well, I just remember looking around my house thinking everything's changed. Like it's no, nothing's the same, even though physically everything's in its spot. <laughs> it's, you know, I still have my kids and my husband and, and my family and stuff, but it's such a, just such a scary feeling when now what? Now I'm 36 and have, you know, maybe, maybe at that point I was 37, I can't, it's a little fuggy, fuzzy, but what's not, what's next? You know, what, how do you do this? Cause I was living in Utah. So like I went up for, for school and pretty much stayed there. And of course I'm living in Utah and my, my husband at the time, we're no longer married, but his family, he had a big family and they spanned, everyone lived within 30 minutes of each other. So everyone I knew, everyone I hung out with, they're all part of the church, you know, that's just, that's your life. That's the culture. That's who you're immersed in life with. So to feel separate from family is, is very lonely. So 
Yeah, that's kind of it in a nutshell. <laughs> you can pick out questions. You, you may have, you want to fill in the blanks, but yeah, that's kind of the, the quick version. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, I can relate to that so much with, uh, <clears throat> like, like you said, you're, everybody's so far away because you're just on different realities. Yeah. Like uh, you're suddenly on the other side of the mirror. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you just, everything has changed. Um, from there, I mean, what was it, what was it like kind of, uh, because I, I think one of the things that I didn't have to go through because I was forced out and then was able to see, you know, I think better see reality. Um, yeah. What was it like kind of seeing that while you're still in, not everybody knows that about you and kind of like transitioning and really navigating that world of like, how am I going to, how are, how am I going to let people find this out about me? What was that like? Yeah, that's a good question. I was so scared. I'm kind of an introvert by nature anyway. And so this seemed so monumental. <laughs> like I'm always the one that just is the quiet one in the corner, just observing life. And so to have something so hugely where I fundamentally did not believe in it and like nothing, nothing in me. And it's weird that that paradigm can shift. So as I was going through the motions, like I'd still go to church with my family and I'd sit there and I would hear you know, the sermons from, they don't really call them sermons at, in the Mormon church, but like the bishop or whoever's speaking in sacrament meeting, which is kind of like the main group everyone meets together on Sunday. And I would just sit there, same thing, feeling such a disconnect. And, and then thinking, like going to a Sunday school lesson and having the teacher talk about apostates. And I don't know if you're, like if apostate was thrown around in, in your faith, but it's like, it's kind of like the apostates now, the black sheep, like the person who's done something wrong. Now they've kind of turned their back on the faith. And I remember thinking, hearing that specifically one Sunday, a teacher talking about this apostate in Mormon church history. And I'm like, they're talking about me. <laughs> like I am literally an apostate. I haven't verbalized this to people yet, but that's who they're referring to. And I'm like a good person. Like they kind of demonize apostates, you know? So people who want to leave the church so they can, I don't know, like go do drugs or someone was offended or they want to have a wild, crazy sex life or like go drinking alcohol. Mormons aren't supposed to drink alcohol. Like, so like all these things, I'm like, that's the least thing I'm concerned about right now. Any of those things, like I'm just, I'm just concerned and mad that I feel betrayed at like, I didn't want to go live a weird, crazy life all of a sudden. Um, and so I just remember that and then I also at that time was teaching the laurels which are girls 16 17 18 that was my son I kind of teach them in young women's is what Mormons call it and I remember there was a lesson on um, morality and I was becoming very aware of what purity culture was and just kind of the effect of that and I was teaching these great young women thinking I want to teach them different than what's in the manual you know like saving yourself for marriage and and just dressing modestly. And I, I started to feel like I hadn't told anyone yet, but I was saying things that would be considered, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just like not outrageous, but not accepted as far as what I should be teaching these girls. So I remember I took my, my manuals that I was teaching from and I just turned it into my leader that was above me. And I said, this is my last Sunday. I love you. I love the girls. I just, I can't be teaching right now. And so 
I felt like that's what I needed to do even before I told people I was leaving the church to slowly kind of pull myself because I couldn't morally teach things that I just felt were inappropriate and not okay. And so to, it, it's just very isolating. Um, I think I started, I told my husband, so he was kind of aware. I mean, you can't not pick up on someone's like, you know, when you live with someone, it, you start to notice something different. Um, but I think he, he would say things that was very similar that other people would say as I started branching out. And that's verbiage like, well, we don't really need to worry about that right now. So let's say polygamy, for example. Mormons believe in polygamy. I mean, Mormons used to practice polygamy a long time ago. Mainstream Mormonism, which I was a part of, they don't practice that anymore in theory, but yet it's still in the canonized scripture. So I would sit there and I'd read my scripture and I would say, but look, it's right here. It says we're going to have to do this. And the answer would always be like, it will work itself out later. We don't have to worry about it now. It's nothing that concerns us. And I'm like, but it's here. <laughs> it's here in black and white. So this has to be reconciled. So after going to like, I think it started when I needed to have a temple recommend. So I'm not sure how familiar you are with how Mormon temples work, but in order to go to the temple, you have a literal card that says you're worthy to go into the temple. And to get that card, you have to go meet with your bishop. And the bishop is the man, of course, who's in charge of the congregation. And they ask you a series of 15 questions or so. And I hadn't really been going to the temple. We were encouraged to go regularly. Um, because I wasn't believing it anymore, but someone was getting married. And so Mormons get married in a temple, which means you have to have this temple recommend. So I went in at two separate times. The first time I was, I hadn't had my faith crisis. I just had the doubt. So I told my bishop and he said, oh, um, you're just being deceived by the devil. <laughs> I was like, what? Like, how does that work? <laughs> and so he said, just read your Book of Mormon and pray. And he signed me off and I was able to go to the temple. Well, now fast forward to after my faith crisis, that was probably about three years before. And now I'm not believing and no one really knows. And I'm supposed to go to this family wedding that's in the temple, which means I, my temple recommends expired. At the time you had to get one renewed every year. Maybe it was every two years. I, anyway, they've changed it a little bit. And I went to my bishop, who's a great man, nice, nice gentleman. And I, I just, I, I thought, I'm going to answer these questions honestly and just see what happens. So he kind of starts going down the list of questions. And, and I would say things like, well, I'm not sure. Or, or no, I don't believe that anymore. And after the third question, he closed his book. And by book, I mean, they have this like notebook that they sign your recommend, like tear it out, kind of like a check, but it's more of a size of a credit card. And then they give you your temple recommend. You, you have to go get an interview by the stake president who's over the bishop. This is way too much information. But anyway, he closed the book and he said, I need you to go home and pray and read your Book of Mormon more. And I remember thinking, that's not the answer. Like, that doesn't help me. I've been an active member for 36, 37 years now. I have read the Book of Mormon. I have prayed. I have done all these things. But now I have this new information. And and, and that was kind of the end. And so that meant I went to the wedding, but I couldn't go in the temple. So I, I had to stand outside the temple. And there, it's kind of like, it's a, I think it's assumed that if you aren't able to go in the temple, you've committed some kind of sin. 
you've done something that makes you not worthy. And I remember thinking, well, I know that's not true for me, but I have to be in integrity with myself, which means I, can't, I don't want to lie my way in if I don't believe in it anyway. And so that was a big turning point because then people were talking, you know, like you could hear a little gossiping and stuff. And so I just slowly started telling people a little bit at a time. Yeah, I'm interested to kind of go back to, you know, when you were first reading various, you know, texts and kind of the history of the church that your friend recommended to you, mm -hmm. um, you know, because I, I think one of the, the things about the Latter-day Saints that I find interesting is like, though they have the Bible and the Book of Mormon, obviously the emphasis is on the Book of Mormon. Mm -hmm. um, and so... I mean, I think for, you know, listeners who might not know a lot about the LDS church or even listeners who are still part of the LDS church, what were kind of the few, I don't know, like big, you mentioned polygamy, right? Mm -hmm. But as far as like reading kind of the history of the church, um, what were kind of your, your big like takeaways where that, that really kind of started to crumble or at least um, reiterate some of the doubts that you already had? Yeah. So like, for example, Joseph Smith was the founder of Mormonism and I was never taught that he himself was a polygamist. Kind of the whitewashed version we were told is that polygamy happened when the saints had to cross the plains when they were being persecuted and that many people died crossing the plains. And so women who were single needed help and support. And so that kind of happened during Brigham Young's time. Brigham Young came was the prophet of the church about three years after Joseph Smith. And so I was reading all these stories about um, Joseph Smith having been married to all of these women. I think it's at 34 or 36 women and thinking, what the hell? Like what? We're not taught this. Like I didn't know this. And not only that, he was um, spirit that he'd call it spiritually married to these women without his wife, Emma, who's the wife, everyone knows about in, in the church, um, his first wife, without her even knowing this. And part of the scripture says that the wife has to give permission for this to happen. Yet here he'd had, I think, six to eight wives before Emma even knew about it. And to me, I'm like, well, this doesn't add up. This is not okay. This is going completely against what's in our scriptures. So things like that, where I just felt like, what? And then I learned that he was what's referred to as a treasure digger. So he would take rocks and, and get messages through them and say he could find money on people's property, like all of this crazy stuff that I'd never heard before, which I was like, well, this is exactly the same story of how he said the Book of Mormon was founded in a hill, like the golden plates. I don't know how familiar you are with all of that, but like how the Book of Mormon came to be in modern day. And I could just start to see the way he and he was raised and how he was using the similar deceiving types of conning people well he's he did that with the church as well and so it just blew my mind to feel like we weren't taught that like never in my in my going to church for 36 years did i ever hear any of those things so because polygamy was kind of that thing before i knew enough about it that just kind of kept bugging me to find out that, yeah, that little inkling in me that was telling me something's not right, wasn't right. So that's part of the history. And just, um, gosh, he just, it, there's so many pieces to it. It just isn't 
what it was, was. And like the book of Mormon itself has, um, things in it like steel and um horses and just different things that weren't even on the continent when joseph smith said things were happening here in america so it, that's what i mean like it comes at some point i remember thinking even if 50 percent of what i'm reading is true the church is can i swear on your podcast <laughs> okay i'm like then the church okay then the church is bullshit. None of this is true. And, you know, cause then members would, or my family member would say, well, um, be careful, you know, where you're reading it from all those sources and stuff. Cause they have a ulterior motive. I'm like, but you need to read this stuff because you've got, you have to use your own brain and go through this. But no one could have told me until I was ready that the, the church wasn't true. I mean, I've even heard, you know, like some of the people I was in high school with and other people over the years would say things, but I'm like, well, they don't know more about my church than I know. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, they did. <laughs> that was a rude awakening. Yeah. And I feel like it has to also be kind of a jolt too, because, you know, Joseph Smith is viewed as a prophet, right? Because I think that's kind of where oftentimes, and, you know, people I've met who have left Mormonism, that's often kind of like where they, like the big turning point where- yep if you believe this person is a prophet and now you're finding kind of these flaws in the doctrine. Yeah. And the Bible also says to like, watch out for false prophets. Now you're kind mm -hmm. of at this conflict where you have to kind of go either way. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it is conflicting. Um, yes, for sure. So as far as your, you know, obviously in Mormonism, marriage is and family is a very, very big deal. Um, you know, how, how did kind of the fallout of your marriage work in regards to, you know, you kind of like leaving the faith? Um, how did that, how did that kind of relationship change as things kind of started to yeah, come out? It's a good question because it's so multi-layered and he is a good man. He's a great father. You know, we have a very respectable relationship now, but I, I wanted to leave. I, ha I, I had this two year period. I refer to it as my free falling time where I was like, I, I didn't want anything to do with anything Mormon. I was mad. I was angry. I didn't know anything for myself necessarily. Like I felt like I hadn't really lived life. And so I was pulling away as he was kind of sticking to it. And I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I mean, I even wanted to run away and like, leave my kids and like, okay, I'm telling you, it was, it was really a mind fuck for my head. Cause I was just like, it, I was so confused and I was hurt. And I, I just, I was mad that how could this be? How could this organization completely control our lives and how we are in the world? And now it's, it's all bullshit. And so I kind of talk about the spiral that I went down for a couple of years until I landed back on my feet. But during that time I did leave my marriage because I was like, I don't want anything to do with it. Fortunately, I didn't leave my kids. <laughs> you know, like I'm thankful for that because I wanted at some point, I just, I'm like, I want nothing. I want to go start new somewhere else. Like that was my mentality. And it's probably a juvenile thought process, but you kind of feel stunted in some growth in, in kind of a way because you, you had no experiences like the world has. And that probably sounds very shallow now, but it's, it's such a, you're coming out of such a mind control that 
it's just very difficult to kind of tell up from down for a while. So that relationship did end. And, um, but we were able to parent our kids. He's still in the church. I'm obviously not, but um, we were able to find common ground and, and raise the kids and, and have it be a good situation <laughs> once I kind of got my footing again. I think that's really interesting about the uh, not having the same experiences as the, uh, as the real world. Uh, <laughs> I like to put it where it's like you get out of, because uh, I feel like when in those kinds of religions, the high demand kind of where your mind has, there's a sort of control over it. Um, you, uh, it's the, I feel like a big part of it is the goals of like what, what you're working towards is so just like the, all that matters. Cause like you, you kind of work towards stuff in like the real world, but it's mostly like all that matters is the, the church or the, like your faith. And I feel like you, you get out and you suddenly open your eyes and you see all these other things that you can work towards or could have worked towards. And you're like, shit, I could have been doing this the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, I've been taught since I was a little girl that my highest calling in life was to be a mother. Now, I love being a mother. I love my kids and I, more than anything in the world. But to feel like, like you just said, totally like, wait, you mean I could have like pursued a career? Like maybe go into broadcasting. Like, I don't even know what I would have done differently, but I chose a career to be a high school teacher. And the reason I chose that was because if something happened to my husband, I could have a career that would be easier to parent my kids around. The, the timing, you know, I'd have summers off. I'd could be home by three thirty or four every day. So like that was my reasoning. Not because and I loved my I did I taught high school for several years before my kids were born, but and I loved it. But I like you said, I would have made different choices. <laughs> like I wouldn't have kept my life just so I'm being a mom and a wife. You know, I was so clueless to patriarchy and the purity culture and um and just all of the like feminism and all of those things, because I, I just had no idea that I was part of this very um, conditioned type of living. Yeah. And so, yeah, you leave it and it's like, what, what is the real world? I mean, and the real world's whatever you create it to be. My real world happened to be Mormonism at the time, but you do wonder, well, what else is out there? What, what is, what am I missing out on? Yeah. I felt like it's interesting because you, you brought up the <laughs> Mrs. Degree at BYU yes. and and I feel like it's also I I would imagine it would be hard because you know if you think like when you are a young woman or a young male oftentimes who you mimic their behavior is older people around you right and so if all the women around you and your mom and your grandma are all doing kind of this one path I don't think you would even question that that's also kind of your calling and your role um, yeah. and with you know in Mormonism families being eternal I feel mm -hmm. like that's like a whole other like part of it that even other denominations of Christianity, you know, don't believe that. <laughs> and so when you add like the eternal family dynamic in, I feel like the weight of it means so much more mm -hmm. because, you know, God's given you this calling and like, this is your role to do this for eternity. Yes. Um, I'm, man, I don't, I'm thinking here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll add to that is like, the whole point then as a Mormon is you're living for the next life. Yeah. You know, we're taught to be in the world, but not of it, which means you, you kind of keep yourself removed from several, you know, worldly things, whatever you think that is at the time. Um, 
and I have such a different perspective now, like, no, I'm living for today. And not that eat, drink, and be merry is necessarily bad. <laughs> like, this is what we've got. Like, I feel like heaven and hell is right here. We're creating it in this life. And who knows what happens after we die? Like, I don't know. I, I used to know all the answers. Like, I, I knew where we came from, why we're here, and where we're going. Mm-hmm. And for me to get comfortable with, I don't know any of that, and that that's okay. I think that's what part of that free falling is because I had the answers, I knew for sure. I knew for sure what my life's purpose was. I knew for sure what would happen, you know, if I, if I lived a good life, what I would receive in the eternities. So yeah, it's, it's a different perspective when you're no longer living for something. I, and I think that's why sometimes I didn't care about political things or feminism or whatever the, the current, you know, social narrative is because I'm like, well, it doesn't matter. Like we're going to die and we're going to live with God and have our, own kingdom to rule or whatever, or my husband would, I would just be, you know, a helper, but (laughs) Um, yeah, it's just a completely different perspective. Yeah. What was, um, I mean, cause purity culture is definitely a biggie, right? That's, that's, that's a big one to tackle. And as being someone who was married, had already had kids, you know, as far as just your role and your femininity, uh, what was that like kind of unpacking feminism and purity culture and yeah uh hard you know growing up being taught that having sex out of wedlock is second to murder (laughs) like that's gonna mess with your brain for a while and so to leave that and having led for the most part I had fooled around with a boyfriend in high school but even that was so traumatic because a night after a lot of making out I would, the next day was like, it's like that scene from Tangled where she's excited because she's free, but then she's so guilty. And she's like, that, that's exactly how I felt. And I think, gosh, you know, like we, we're, to, we're shamed so much. We're just our, our own sexuality, whatever that may be. And that's not healthy. Like that's so damaging. And so to, to, to get to be, you know, 36, 37 going, what did I miss out on, you know? And not that you, like I said, you want to go like have sex with everybody. And even that's not wrong. Like I'm on such a different headspace than I used to be, but that you didn't even get to make choices for yourself on what you wanted to do when you're in the paradigm of your religion. So yeah, just feeling very expansive and open and so less judgmental than I was when I was a member, not thinking I was being judgmental (laughs) at the time, but now not like letting people figure their life out for themselves is so much more empowering than someone being told this is what you're supposed to do. And if you veer from the path, you know, you're going to miss out on all the blessings in the next life. It's like, well, we're human. Sometimes we mess up or sometimes this is how we, we learn how to make decisions is by trying things out and experimenting and, you know, asking questions. Yeah. I think, I think even, uh, in some kind of a, part of the problem with that too is that like, so we have to try it out, but then I feel like the way our brain works is we kind of have to go down that path in our mind too. And like think about it. And I, and I feel like one of the problems that I experienced when there is like, if our brain's like a, like a giant house, you know, that an endless house, you, you could say, yeah, you, you, a thought gets brought to your mind. And usually like the, the way the brain wants to go is you like open the door, you go in the door, you maybe go into the next room and the next room, you keep exploring this kind of area. But then oftentimes you would get there and you would, the door would be locked 
and your brain just like wouldn't think about it you know yeah. and, and it's like you don't even think about like well what if i did do this what if i did experience <laughs> this thing that like because yeah. you're just like nope because if i do that then i won't make it to the next life or i'll be like the next life is not as guaranteed right. um and so I'm, I'm curious for you kind of what it was like when all those doors become unlocked and like how you kind of went through experiencing things and kind of deciding for yourself how your own kind of right and wrong, I don't know, experiencing new thought processes that kind of weren't available yeah. to you before. Well, it's, it's, it's being able to figure out what your own morality compass is, right? And I, t I talk about something called the residual effect. And when you were talking about going through all the doors, it kind of reminded me of that because what happens for so many of us who leave, you leave and you're like, whoo, I'm free. But then you make decisions in life and you're still subconsciously having it framed in the residual effect of what you grew up in. So whether you're trying to make decisions on sex or, you know, experimenting with drugs or I don't know what kind of person you want to be, just everything in between, your brain is still going, but that's bad. And so to answer your question, I think it's, I don't know. It's like living life and opening those doors and trying to realize that you don't have to have a preconceived it's bad or wrong. If that makes sense. Like we've been taught that there is, it's black and white. This is bad. This is right. And so to open those doors, I think it's kind of like you, you peek around the door first, <laughs> like, is it safe to go in there? And like, Oh, there's other people there and that seems to be okay. And I think it's also allowing yourself to, to experiment and then make a decision based on that. I mean, not that you have to go like shooting up heroin or something to figure out that that's bad, but when you take the judgment away from certain things, I think it just lightens that burden of going, oh, well, these people aren't bad people because they smoke pot, you know, or something like that. Or this group of feminist women aren't terrible and going against God because they want equal rights for women. You know, like all the things that I was taught it's, it's like, oh, wait, I can think this through for myself. Like what you're saying, like you open that door and you get to, you get to start using critical thinking skills and you get to decide what your own morality is for yourself. And that could be different than your neighbor, you know, someone across the street from you or on the other side of the world. To me, it takes that stress off of it because if we're just all humans trying to figure this life out, like we should be able to make the choices we want without the fear of eternal damnation right? Placed on top of every decision we make in life. That, that is really cool. I think I, I, and I do agree too, where it's like, there's certain things that like the, like shooting up heroin, like you said, where it's like, okay, like we know this is wrong, but like, you're able to like, think about it and like actually decide for yourself and like, okay, well, I don't need to do that, but you can like feminism is like, okay, this is something that I can yeah. explore and I can really enjoy and um, find the good in that that I didn't yeah. see before. Yeah. I, I'm curious too of like the tiny things. Like I, I noticed for me when I got out and like experiencing things, there's like some really small things that just like mean the world that like most people, I think when they experience them every day, you know, they maybe we take it for granted and especially nowadays, but like in your transition out, what was like, was there a, a small thing that most people might not think about, but that just like meant the world to you that you just experienced or enjoy doing yeah like we're talking really small like yeah. going to the church or going to the store on sunday 
<laughs> Mormons, you're supposed to keep the Sabbath day holy. And that meant not going and spending money and making other people work. And so I remember going and, and thinking, someone's gonna, like, I'm going to get in trouble, <laughs> you know, or going and buying a bottle of wine, like going to a liquor store and being an adult and buying a bottle of wine, because I've decided that that's okay for me. Where other people like, oh, and my favorite thing is coffee. We weren't supposed to drink coffee. And that is my most favorite morning ritual. And to give you a little sneak peek into my, what my life was, I had never had coffee, but I lo I've always loved the smell of coffee. So when I was Mormon, I would buy like a coffee candle and I would let the candle burn in my house. And that was like edgy. <laughs> like, that was like, I'm like, if, if the church people come over, I need to like, I don't know, spray some Febreze or something so they don't um, think I'm, you know, the appearance of evil, which would be if I actually had coffee in a coffee maker. So those are the things that like, oh, I just am so grateful that I, there's no guilt. I get to drink coffee every morning and I get excited about it. Like, or someone else is like, you couldn't drink coffee? Like, what planet did you come from? You know? Like second hat, uh, secondhand caffeine, you know, just like in the candle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, not to totally switch gears here, but one of the things that came up in the webinar a bit, which I, I do think is important to talk about is um, just kind of the relationship you have with your two sons Yeah, uh, and kind of navigating a multi-faith parenting structure um, and kind of like where, where your kids are at now and how you kind of navigate, maybe not sharing faith beliefs, um, you know, with, yeah. with your kids. Okay. Yeah. That's huge. Sorry, sorry to totally like <laughs> change the topic. But. No, that's good. Hey, we can swing in whatever direction. Um, yeah. So I remember going through it thinking, how do I be a mom when everything I've taught them is in, you know, like in line with the church doctrine and how to be. So I didn't really tell them straight away what I was going through. I mean, they were young, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11, around those ages. And, and I felt like I didn't know what I believed in anymore. Like you kind of go from fully believing you're all in, yay, this is wonderful to, to the doubting phase, to the realization phase. And then to like, well, now what, now how do I parent? Cause none of that works for me anymore. But my brain at the time, and this goes back to residual effect, when I was first going through it, I thought, well, I just need to kind of concede here because my husband and I, remember when I was 20, made the decision to get married and live our life based on these principles. So I went through a time where I thought, okay, I'll just, he can lead the way because he's also the priesthood leader in our home. And that's the residual thinking I'm talking about when I'm like, my brain was still trying to think that I have to kind of let it be okay in the Mormon world. Maybe I just pull myself out of it. And that worked for a little time until <laughs> it just doesn't work anymore. Like I couldn't go to church anymore. Like I tried. And, and then of course we'd have more and more discussions, but as, as the, as the kids got older, I would share more and more with them. Uh, as I got more secure in how I felt being a non-member. So in 2009, I had my name officially removed from the church records. And some people make that decision and some people think it's no big deal because they've already removed themselves and that's just something that doesn't matter to them. To me, I felt like I was making a statement that this is me taking my decision, making power back. So to me, that was important. As far as the kids go, I have one, so they're 23 and 21 now. 
and my oldest is out completely and he kind of has been out since he was in high school had just you know he'd met some atheist kids and he had me as a mom who was out and and I think he it was like no big deal to him like I don't think he had a faith crisis and I've asked him about that and he's like no it's just I just didn't want to go and he was my same kid who when he was eight so eight's when you get baptized as a Mormon he was very scared to go on a Mormon mission and at that time at that time when he was eight young men were going on missions at 19. and i remember thinking they because i i, I preface that because now they've changed it to 18 but i remember telling him ryan you don't have to think about this right now but this shows the conditioning that happens is they, they go to their primary classes which is like youth or like primary um kids under 12 between 3 and 12 go to primary on Sundays and you're constantly told this is what young men do and yet women can go to young women can go but for a man you're supposed to go on a church mission and so here was this little eight-year-old boy terrified that he's gonna have to go on a mission and I, I hadn't been through my faith crisis yet and I remember telling him Brian that's so far away you don't need to worry your your brain about that like that was heavy he was very worried I remember my husband saying don't tell him that we need to get him ready to go and those were just little things that I'm like this is a child who's scared of something that may or may not ever happen. You know, let's not put the burden on him. Um, but anyway, so he's the one that's out. My younger one, he is fully in. He did serve a mission. He went to Argentina and he is actually engaged to be married in the temple. And so we do navigate, we dance that dance. And what helps me the most is even though I 100% don't believe the church to be true, my belief is just as strong as his belief that it is. And I think I got to make my decision based on my life experiences and my, how my brain processed information when the time was right for me. No one could have told me at 20 to not get married in the Mormon temple and to leave the church because I believed it. And so he gets to make that same decision. And he gets to have whatever experiences lead him to stay or to go. He knows I love him no matter what. And to me, that's more important than fighting over the church. And just to let you know how in it we are right now, because he's getting married in the Mormon church, in the Mormon temple, that means I can't go. And, and I knew this because when I was 20, my dad was never a member of the church. Um, and my parents divorced when I was young. Um, my dad and my grandparents couldn't go in the temple with me to witness my wedding. And I was so in it. I wasn't, I didn't really think much about it. But, you know, years later, you hear stories that they stood outside on the temple grounds waiting for us to come out crying and sad they couldn't go in. And so I knew when I left that that was kind of the chance I had to take. That my kids could stay and both get married in the temple at, at different times. And I can't go. And the church has, has recently changed their, the way it used to be. When I got married, you, if, if you chose to get married outside the temple, you'd have to wait a year to get married in the temple. And, and that might seem strange, but whenever, like if I had decided not to get married in the temple, for sure people would have thought I, we'd had sex or something before, you know, like it's that stigma attached to it. So now the church has changed and said, okay, you can do whatever first. There's no waiting period. So in 
life as I am right now where I'm fully out and he's fully in. I had a conversation with him a couple of weeks ago and I just said, you know, I know how important the temple is and getting sealed. That's how Mormons refer to it. You get sealed in the temple for time and all eternity. Um, I, I wouldn't feel like, I don't want to just sit here with my mouth closed. Like I love you and whatever decision you make, I will be there. I will be standing outside the temple and I will embrace you. Oh, I'm going to get a little emotional. Like I will, I'm, I know this makes you happy. Um, but as a, as someone who was you, you know, 30 years ago, however long ago it was, um, I know what it's like to learn that your parents stood outside the temple. And I, and I was in no way guilting him. I just said, if you could do this, cause I know it's okay now to have a ceremony first outside the temple, I would love it. If not, then I respect your decision and you two get to make that he and his fiance. And he, he's such an amazing kid. He's like, okay, mom, I'm glad you said something, you know, like, it's just like having those tough conversations without getting so hung up on the outcome is where I have to approach it. I love him no matter what. And I understand the paradigm in which he's making that decision. And so I have to be like, Hey, I'm a grown up. I can manage my emotions. I love him no matter what. But part of the deal is I do tell him how I feel instead of thinking like, Oh, I just need to keep my mouth shut. Cause that's something Mormon Amy did a lot, <laughs> kept her mouth shut. And so now with raising my kids, I mean, they're grown, they're adults, but I'm still their mom. And so I still want to have some influence and, and he, they, he respected that. And so he and his fiance spoke and they're going to have a little ceremony first and then go in the temple that day. So I feel like we both are doing our best, you know, like I think probably better to not have a ring ceremony outside the temple first, because traditionally you get married in the temple first, but um, we've been able, fortunately, to kind of dance that dance, and it's, it's good. It works. Yeah, that does sound really great. I think what, <clears throat> the, to me, the coolest part of that story, too, is that you've provided a way for your kids to really have a choice in what they want to believe, because you have one son who's obviously very in it, but still loves you, but then another son who got the chance to not have to be attached to the faith and kind of get out of it young because he knows mm -hmm. his mom loves him and for whoever he is too. I think that's just the coolest thing is that now you're, because you've gotten out, your kids get to see both sides of it more mm -hmm. and they get to make that choice for themselves, which is really amazing. Yeah. Which is what we all want essentially, right? Is, is to have that free agency that we thought we had, you know, we, we're, we're told in this life we have free agency, but when there's so much fear and condemnation wrapped around, if you don't make the right quote unquote right decisions, um, then fear is guiding you. And so that's what, that's always been my greatest thing. My kids can ask me anything, um, but I, I'm not going to shove anything down their throats. Like he knows I have a podcast called ex Mormonology. <laughs> like it couldn't, I couldn't be more like, it's not like I just left and, and then stayed away. Like I am actively involved in helping people who leaves the faith because that's how strongly I feel. So he, he doesn't criticize me for things that I post. I think he just, we just respect that each other's space in that regard. Um, Cause like sometimes I'll post something on Instagram and I'm like, Nathan's oh, going to see this, <laughs> but I have to be true to who I am. Just like he posts things of that. The prophet has said that he finds wonderful. And I'm like, okay, we're just both going to respect each other's space.
Uh, that is really great. And thank you for sharing so much of this story. Um, I think to kind of start wrapping it up, because um, this has been an amazing conversation. I do want to change our, we usually ask if, uh, you know, if you could give the listeners something to, to think, or, you know, give them one last piece. But I kind of was curious if we could change it up a little bit, especially for somebody whose story is leaving that, that kind of hyper demanding kind of faith. Um, if, if somebody was physically in and mentally out right now and listening to this podcast, what would you want to tell them? If you could leave them with one thing, what would you want to say for them? I think always be true to yourself and trusting yourself. And that means that, I mean, you have to stay in whatever space, right? But eventually when you start, like I did, I stayed in that space for a long time. I think eventually your soul, for lack of a better word, kind of fights against you because you're doing something that doesn't feel true to you. And so I guess along those lines, I say, yeah, people are going to judge you. People are going to have thoughts and feelings about you. None of that is your business and none of it means anything about you because truthfully, no one knows that dark night of the soul that you've been through. No one knows how filled with anguish and heartache that you feel when you're, when you've found out all you've done or it's just not what it used to be. And so you're going through the motions because you think you should. I think that's okay. (laughs) Like that's part of this process. But when you start to feel like it's now causing more harm than good for yourself, that's when you have to make the decisions and the hardest, most of us stay stuck in that decision-making process because we're so fearful of the thoughts someone else may or may not have. And I guess my advice is to, yeah, they're going to have thoughts, but you're having your own thoughts and feelings to navigate as well. And that's the most important piece of this puzzle. And so to take steps to be most mentally healthy, if that means you have to leave it and stop going yeah, you might lose friends. You might lose, lose relationships. I for sure have. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it was, I had to be true to me because that's what my soul was kind of fighting for. Like finding my own autonomy was scary as hell because like, you know, I'm taught we're a couple and this is like, we're together. Like, I don't think I ever had my own time to be autonomous. So for you who are sitting there, you know, at 2 a.m. crying in the morning because you feel stuck. When you make that decision to to completely break away or at least to be vocal about what you're doing, it's going to feel uncomfortable. But when you can lean into that, you are you are being true to you. And that's what feels freeing. Yeah. Thank you so much, Amy. Uh, yeah. Was, I mean, your story is great. And, you know, we love having you on. Um, if, I mean, I know you're a coach for yes. people who are leaving the faith. Uh, if people wanted to connect with you and find more of your work, where, where would they go? Yeah. So I have a podcast called Ex-Mormonology that uh, gives you tools to help you navigate the space. And yes, it's called Ex-Mormonology, but I have people who've left all sorts of religions listening to me and, and my clients. And I am a life coach and I, I take on clients, like I said, who've left all different types of faiths. Uh, we sing a similar song is what I like to say. We've been through the similar emotions. The, the religion itself is not that it's irrelevant because to, to us and whatever your religion has been, it's been a huge impact on your life. Um, but the mind and the mental construct is the same. And you're trying to leave and, and build new neural pathways for your brain to kind of attach to and develop. And so 
yeah, I, I coach people from all over and help people navigate the space after. For some people, they're fresh in that raw stage. For other of my clients, they're 10 plus years out still rehashing some of these conditions, like I said, residual effects of growing up in such a high demand religion. So I love the work I do because I feel like we become our most authentic self when we can set ourselves free. And sometimes you need a little help with that. So that's, that's where I come in. And so amyloganlife.com is my website and you can find ex-Mormonology on most, I think most of the places you listen to podcasts. Um, yeah, that's where you'll find all my connecting stuff. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the What the Faith podcast. Music brought to you by Justin Kay. And as always, if you liked what you heard, be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a review for the podcast. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week.